The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. chapter 4, the end of chapter 4 and beginning of chapter 5 today as we continue on in this series. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can follow along uh, in the reading or on the, uh, on the screens uh, behind me there. So this is a letter written to... Uh, a group of Christians in the first century uh, in the town of Thessalonica in Greece, written by the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we, are, we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Precious God, as we uh, come now to um, just to pour over this word, Lord, to dig deeper into it, to come to grips with it, to understand it, and to understand, Lord, what it means for us as people living in the 21st century, 
Lord, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit might take my words this morning, might take your words, and really, Lord, just uh, bring it home to our hearts. Lord, help it settle. May it find that, uh, that, that fertile ground in our hearts, that it might take root, that it might uh, sprout and bring forth, Lord, that which you have purposed for it to do in our lives, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we are in the, uh, the next in our series uh, of First uh, Thessalonians, and we'll be coming to the end of this in the next couple of weeks, and then we'll be moving on into Paul's second letter. I don't know if you're any familiar with the, uh, the Peanuts cartoon. Charles Schultz, anyone uh, familiar with, uh, with that? Yes? Well, in one of the Peanuts cartoons, there's a, there's a conversation that takes place between Lucy and her brother Linus. And Lucy is, uh, is, is looking at, 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 this, at, the, at the rain that's falling, a bit like Melbourne and Sydney and that at the moment, being absolutely inundated with rain. And uh, she, she's looking out and she's looking quite worried. And Linus comes over to Lucy and says, what are you, what are you worried about? What are you concerned about? And uh, Lucy says, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? And Linus replies, well, it'll never do that. Because in the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of his promise is the rainbow. Lucy ponders on this for a moment and then says, You know what, Linus, you've taken a great load off my mind today. And Linus says, Sound theology has a way of doing that. (laughs) Sound theology has a way of doing that. And you know, that cartoon basically captures the essence of what Paul is talking about here in our passage this morning. He's offering sound theology as a means of comfort and encouragement to the Christians he's writing to, but also to us today as we ourselves read and hear God's Word to us. And twice in this passage, the Apostle tells the the Thessalonian believers that they are to encourage one another with these words. We see it in chapter 4, verse 18, and we see it in chapter 5 and verse 11 of our passage today. And that which, we, which they are to encourage one another with is Paul's teaching about the return of Jesus. You know, the Bible is, is very, very clear. In fact, it's crystal clear about the fact that one day in the future, Jesus is going to return to earth as king and as judge. And Jesus himself spoke about this return uh, numerous times throughout the Gospels that are recorded for us throughout the Gospels. In Matthew 24, he has these words to say. He says, it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Matthew 26 as well, Jesus says, speaking to Caiaphas, the religious high priest, of the day, Jesus says, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And also in John 14, 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, he says to his disciples, 
He says, I will come again and take you to be there with myself. For there where I am, you will be also. Again in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. But not only do we have Jesus' words to us, we also have the testimony of the angels at Jesus' ascension. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, it says, Men of Galilee, this is after Jesus has gone back into heaven and his disciples are sort of just still standing around. Angels appear and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The testimony of the various New Testament writers as well. And I'm going to dwell on this for a minute because I want us to understand that the amount of times the Bible speaks about Jesus' second coming. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And again in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, just like Paul was saying in this passage. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You know, did you know there are over 300 references to Christ's return alone in the New Testament? Over 300 that's approximately one in every 30 verses in the New Testament. That's amazing, isn't it? One in every 30 verses. This passage this morning that we're specifically focusing on, I just want to talk about this morning, it focuses very much, it speaks about this return of Christ. And there are three main truths I want us to, or I want to draw out from this passage for us this morning. Those three truths are this, that for the Christian, Christ's return gives us hope in death. That's the first one, okay? For the Christian, Christ's return gives us hope in death. Secondly, Christ's return also gives us encouragement in life. And thirdly, the knowledge of Christ's return should cause us to live in a specific way, okay? So they're the three things we're going to, uh, to explore together this morning from this passage. So let's begin with Christ's return gives us hope in death. This uh, comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And in these verses, Paul is seeking to address a specific concern of these Thessalonian believers. And that concern is what happens to those believers who have already died in the faith. Okay, so back in that day, these believers were expecting that Jesus would, come, would return fairly quickly. That after his, his, his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, they expected Jesus to come back very, very soon. And even you know, the Apostle Paul, you know, for a while, thinks that himself, that Jesus will return very quickly. And so for them, they're wondering now what would happen to those Christians who have been killed or who have died before Jesus returns. Would they miss out on seeing Jesus come in all of his glory? Would they, they see Jesus being revealed to the world as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And that's the question that Paul is addressing here with these 
Thessalonian Christians. He begins by telling them that he wants them to be rightly informed. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul is saying here, I want you to be rightly, I want you to be properly informed about these matters. So that when, in, in, in knowing these things, in understanding the truth, that these people will not grieve like those who have no hope. Paul uses a euphemism here of, of, of that word, asleep. Okay, he's referring to those who have died, of course. But, you know, for the Christian, you know, essentially, you know, um, when we die, we are inevitably, I guess, in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a sense, asleep because we're waiting to be risen again with Jesus when he comes. So he uses this euphemism for, for dying. Called, you know, he uses that word asleep. And he says, you know, that I do not want you to be uninformed about these things, brothers, and grieve like those who have no hope. You know, in my uh, time as a, as a pastor, I've conducted dozens and dozens and dozens of funerals, and uh, probably too uh, too many to uh, to think about. And the most difficult funerals to conduct are, are those uh, for those people who have not exhibited any kind of belief or faith or trust in Jesus as Savior. They've not demonstrated a true Christian conversion. Because in those funerals, there is no hope that can be offered to those who are left behind. No hope at all. All we can do, really, is affirm that person's life and the way in which they have lived their life. But having died, there is no hope. There is no certainty that they are now enjoying a future in heaven with Jesus. The only comfort is the memories of that person in their days here on earth. But when they die, death gets the final say and only judgment awaits. Yet for the believer who has died, Paul confidently asserts that when Christ returns, they will precede those who are still alive in meeting Christ in the air. Look at verses 16 and 17 this morning. It says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him always. Can you imagine what that's going to be like when Jesus comes again and there's this this loud, this loud command of God and the, the, the voice of an archangel and the, and the trumpet call of God. How amazing that's going to be. How ear-shattering that sound is going to be as it rings out across the world. Declaring the, the, the risen King Jesus coming again to rule in righteousness and in His glory. 
Now, the image that's, that Paul is, is also has in mind here is in those days, the, the, when, a, when a king or a, a ruler or an important government dignitary would come to a particular town, what would happen is that they would send out a delegation, usually a, a delegation of, of leaders of that town who would go out and meet that person and escort them back into the town. It's kind of like rolling out the red carpet, so to speak. And that's the image that Paul is, 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 is trying to picture here, that when Jesus returns, those who, uh, who, who belong to him, those who put their faith and trust in him, are actually going to, be, going to be called up together to meet him in the air and escort him back. All his children at Jesus' second coming will be called up. That's what we get the, the term snap, uh, uh, a rapture, by the way. They'll be snatched up to be with Jesus in the clouds and then escort him back to earth where he will reign forever and ever. Now, the basis of Paul's confidence in this is found in verse 14 of the passage. And it says this, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul's confidence very much is the fact that Jesus died and rose again. See, the Christian hope is founded solely on the fact that Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension are the, are, are the only reasons why we can have a confidence and hope in death. That's the only reason we can. And it's the only reason why we can expect that if we put our faith and trust in Him as Lord and Saviour, if we confess before God that we ourselves are sinners, that we stand condemned under His holy and righteous judgment for our sin, and put our faith in Jesus as, as His sacrifice on our behalf, that we can have the confidence of knowing that Jesus' own resurrection therefore guarantees our resurrection to life when He comes in glory. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about this, where he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Jesus is the first, and they're expecting others after. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. It is at Christ's coming that we will receive our own resurrection bodies, those spiritual bodies that are especially suited for living in Christ's eternal kingdom. Now, Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 15, he's speaking about the fact that he says, for as, as by a man came death, he's speaking about Adam back in Genesis, chapter 3, the 4. And we ourselves find that we are all in Adam. Okay, Adam's sin is our sin. And so we ourselves all are under the judgment of God and therefore death is our only, is 
our own uncertainty. But it goes on to say, but not, not only did by a man come death, but also by a man comes a resurrection from the dead. That is, Jesus, God's Son, fully God and fully man, in one body. Get your head around that. 100% man, 100% God. In Him comes resurrection from the dead, and only in Him. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We've sung about that already this morning, haven't we? Now, I want to talk this very, very quickly, because you might have a bit of a, a, a question about, or you may have, and I'm going to address this, is what happens if we're, if we're believers and we die? In what these many theologians call the intermediate state, that state between our dying in Christ and us receiving our new resurrected bodies. And many theories have been proposed, but Scripture suggests that we will all have a consciousness and we will be with Jesus as soon as we die. Jesus said to the thief on the cross in Luke 23, 43, where the thief says to him, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus reply? Today you will be with me in paradise. Paul asserts also in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, he says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul expected that he would, that the moment he died, he would be with Jesus and he would be conscious of that fact. He goes on to say in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, for to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, for the gospel. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul had this assuredness that he would be with Jesus the minute he died. Again, in Revelation 6.10, it says, They, that is the saints who have already died in Christ, cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Already there are the saints in heaven and they are crying out to God, how long before you will judge? How long will you before you bring judgment on the earth and vindicate all of your people? See, the Christian's blessed hope is that when our earthly life ends, we will be with Jesus in glory and with him await that tremendous day where we will all escort him back to earth in his triumphant and glorious second coming. No wonder that Paul says we're to encourage each other with these words, huh? Yeah, no wonder. So Christ's return gives us hope in death. Christ's return also gives us encouragement in life. In 4.17, Paul says, Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Isn't it interesting that Paul says we will always be with the Lord? That's not just when we die, but we are with the Lord now in life. That He is with us. And again, we've sung about that this morning. In chapter 5, verses 9 to 11, the Apostle writes, For God has not destined us for wrath, 
but instead to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, that is, living or dead, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up with these words, just as you are doing. Christ's return gives us encouragement in life. See, the one thing that this passage makes abundantly clear, abundantly clear, is that for believers, our future is totally secure in Christ. But not just our future, but also our present. It is secure in Christ. Paul reminds us in Romans 8, a very familiar passage, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor the height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ for the person who's put their faith in Him. You know, our world can be a very scary place at times, can't it? See, the last couple of years have really shown us that our lives can be turned upside down in an instant. Just this week, I've spoken with, with several folks whose lives have been literally turned upside down in a moment. A diagnosis of cancer. A breakdown in a marriage. A loss of a job. A breakdown of a family relationship. These things can strike us so quickly and turn our world completely upside down, don't they? You know, the, the, if the things that we put our hope in and our security in are the things of this life, then we're going to realize that those things can be taken away just as quickly. And then where is our hope and our security? Death itself can come without warning. But for the person who has come to Jesus, they have the full assurance of knowing that they are forever in his safekeeping. We need to remember that no apparent threat should keep us from living our lives faithfully for Christ. Folks, as Christians today, we need not live in a state of fear and anxiety, for we are God's children and our hope is secure in him. What is it today that you may be afraid or fearful or anxious about. Jesus' word reminds us that for us as his children, it's okay. When he is with us, he will not leave us or forsake us. He will not turn his back on us. He will be with us in the midst of all the situations and life circumstances that we find ourselves in. But the wonderful hope that we have is that nothing is going to separate us from that love. And even if what we consider to be the worst thing that can happen to us in this life, that is to die, we have a hope. We have a confident hope that we will be forever with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Furthermore, Paul reminds his readers that not only 
Uh, they, they have this hope, but they are not destined for wrath. When this life is over, we can be, have a confident hope of knowing that God will not pour out His wrath upon us for our sin because Jesus has done that for us in our place on the cross. So therefore, we can face God with a confidence, not, on, not in our own merit and in our own good works, but in the good works and the merit of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Paul finishes this section again with that exhortation to the believers to encourage one another with these truths, to speak them regularly to yourself and to one another. I wonder how many times we seek to encourage one another with the fact, with the, with our eternal hope in Jesus Christ. Oftentimes we encourage one another by saying, "She'll be right, mate. It'll all turn out good." After all, God works all things for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. That's a good promise. But the best promise is that that good that God promises us is eternity with Him. And so, we need not face this life in fear of death. Sadly, today, too many of us do. And we recoil at things where we should be taken the lead in. We recoil in things where we think, well, if we do that, we could get a cold, we could get sick, we could die. Yes, you could. And we take proper precautions, but at the same time as believers, we say, you know what? We're going to be at the forefront. We're going to believe Jesus. We're going to show our faith in Christ. And we're going to stand strong and firm for Him, regardless of what this world throws at us, hey? Christ's return gives us hope in death. It gives us encouragement in life. And the knowledge of Christ's return should cause us to live in a specific way. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 8. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, all of a sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. When Christ returns, his return will come unexpectedly. Therefore, we need to be ready for it. And despite many, many failed attempts over the years to discern when Jesus will come again, and there have been all kinds of dates that have been proposed in the past and will continue to be proposed in the future. But the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour. Here in this passage it says Jesus' return will come unexpectedly like a thief comes to rob a house in the night. Bible tells us it is in light of that we need to be ready. And being ready means that we have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that having been reconciled to God, that we are seeking to live in a way that brings honor to Him. This is what we've been speaking about the last couple of weeks, about living lives pleasing to God. Remember, we've been talking about that in the, in the, in the, in the passages prior to this. 
See, to deny Jesus and the Bible's teaching about him is to live in a way that ignores him and is focused purely on this world and is, according to Paul, walking, that's what walking around in darkness means. That's what he says here. But you are not in darkness, brothers. You have had the light switched on for you in the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because you now have that knowledge, you should live in a specific way. You know, we can have a false sense of peace and security about eternity. And, you know, we've, when a person dies, we hear all kinds of, of people's you know, thoughts about that person and that sort of thing. But oftentimes, you know, I hear, oh, well, you know, one of these, you know, that person now, you know, they've got their angel wings, they're now in heaven. Regardless of whether or not that person has shown any kind of faith in Jesus or not during their life. Now, let me say this, okay? None of us judge, can judge a person's heart. And we don't know what happens even in their lo- those last moments of life before they die. But the reality is, if there really has been no kind of, of evidence of a changed life because of the work of the Holy Spirit in that person's life, then it then casts doubt on their eternity. Now, I'm not trying to be callous. I'm not trying to be um, disrespectful or anything like that. Because I know that many of us here have lost loved ones and have lost loved ones who we don't know where they stood with the Lord. And that is heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. And that's why it is so important for us as the people of God to know the truth of the gospel and to be proclaiming that truth to those who are still in darkness, who need that light switched on in their life, who need to know that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, that He has indeed come as Saviour, but that He is coming back as King and Judge. That is our mission. And we need to be diligent and fervent in that mission for God. says that, you know, we can have this false sense of security thinking that we're okay. But when Christ comes, like it says, and Christ will come, you know, Paul says here, just as, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, ladies, you, who, you ladies who have born children, you know that when those labor pains start, you know what the end is going to be, don't you? It's going to result in a baby. Well, well Jesus says, that just like labor pains in a, in, a, in a human birth, Jesus is going to come again. We're seeing the labor pains already in our world today. We're seeing the beginnings of what Jesus spoke about, where, you know, the labor pains of we're seeing in the world wars and rumors of wars. We're seeing, um, um, you know, disasters, natural disasters and things take place. We're seeing people turn away from God both outside the church and inside the church. All of these things are just the beginning, Jesus says. But he says, but what they're pointing to is that one day I'm coming again. And we can be certain and sure of that. He says, for Christ's coming will result in destruction for those who have not acknowledged him as Saviour and Lord. 
And that term destruction doesn't mean a complete obliteration, like a non-existence. Because we see this term used again in, in the next letter, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verses 7 to 9, where it says this, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So Paul says here that that's, destruction doesn't mean complete annihilation. It means separated from the presence of God and from the glory of his might. Now, if everything good and perfect and right is, in, is found in God, then apart from God is all the rest, hey? Revelation 14, 9-11 says, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he, will, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of his name. I think that makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? Bit of a fire and brimstone message this morning, isn't it? Hey? But boy, we need to hear it, don't we? Boy, we need to hear it. You know, in light of these things, for the Christian, we need to live in a way that reflects that we have been joined together with Jesus. We need to be, we need to, to keep awake. We need to have our eyes open, our spiritual eyes open to what is going on in the world around about us. And we need to be sober, meaning that we, we need to, to make sure that we've got minds that are clear, clear-mindedness about these things. means that we do not allow ourselves to be captivated by any influence that would lead us away from sound judgment. Paul says we're to have on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. That spiritual armor that Paul speaks about in, uh, in, in, um, in, in Galatians. Sorry, in Ephesians 6, sorry. We need to have that, that spiritual armor on which enables us as Paul says in that, uh, in that passage, to stand firm in the faith of Jesus Christ. You know, if Jesus returned at this minute, if Jesus returned today, would he find us? Would he find you and me living in a way that honors him? Think about that for a moment. Think about just this, this past week, even not just this past week, think about yesterday. Will we be living in a way that honors Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior? Would he be pleased, are we demonstrating faith in Jesus by the way in which we live our lives? Would he be pleased by what he sees in us? Again, that's harking back to last week's message about living lives that please God. 
But remember what I said last week. It's not what we do that earns us brownie points with God and results in Him granting us eternal life. No. He bestows that upon us purely out of His grace and His mercy and His kindness. But if we truly belong to Him and we are trusting in Jesus and are seeking to worship and love Him in our lives, no matter how well or how poorly we do that, if that's what we're endeavouring to do in our lives and we are eagerly awaiting His return, then that will result in a changed lifestyle. Knowledge of Christ's return should help us to keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on the eternal and remind us that this life is not all there is. We need to have Jesus' priorities. We can't be at home in this world, folks. We can't be looking to the things of this world for our comfort and our peace and our security and our joy. As Christians, we are strangers, sojourners, people, travellers, passing through. That's what Christians are. We are just passing through on our way to eternal glory with Christ. We, are, we should be like Abraham who longed for that celestial city whose builder and architect is God, as we're reminded in Hebrews. Looking forward to that day when we'll be ushered into his very presence. But in the meantime, living lives that point people to his glory and telling them of their need to be reconciled to him. Hope for the believer, our eternal hope is secure. Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, and his word assures us of that. As Christians, we've got the greatest future to look forward to. Amen. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is coming back. So therefore, let's encourage one another with these words, huh? Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you this morning for this word to us that reminds us again of our hope in Jesus Christ. Reminding us afresh, Lord, that uh, through faith in Jesus, there is nothing that can separate us from his love. And that one day, Lord, we have that expectant hope of being with Jesus forever in glory. Lord, that place that will be absolutely perfect, where the Bible tells us there will be no more struggling with sin, there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more tears. You will wipe those tears from our eyes, Lord. But instead, there will be everlasting peace and joy. What a hope we have. May we live in that hope this week and may we declare it in both action and word. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.